In the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Today's lesson from Genesis is one of the most well-known stories in the Bible. Jacob wrestles with a mysterious figure all night and eventually prevails upon the heavenly being to give him a blessing. Now, this story is often held up as a sign of Jacob's strength and perseverance. By his physical, mental, and spiritual mastery, he was able to contend with God and win. But this reading of the lesson is problematic. It suggests that humans can gain mastery over God and bend God to human will. That's not what happened in today's story. It wasn't until Jacob faced his deceitful past and experienced his vulnerability that God blessed him. He had to reach the end of his strength before God's strength could be revealed. I want to back up a little bit and see how we came to this point in the story because it only makes sense when you understand the relationship between Jacob and Esau. So first, a quick review of the patriarchs. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Isaac was married to Rebekah, and they had twin sons, Esau, who was hairy and came out first, and Jacob, who was smooth and came out second, holding onto Esau's ankle. Esau was a man after his father's own heart, strong, skilled in hunting, comfortable on the land. His name literally means hairy. However, Esau is also described in other places as profane, which suggests that he really didn't consider anything terribly sacred. Jacob, on the other hand, was his mother's favorite. He was smooth, intelligent, and preferred to remain inside. The name Jacob literally means to follow, but it can also mean to supplant or to overreach. Jacob's first opportunity to steal from his brother came one afternoon when Esau came in from hunting and was starving. Jacob had cooked some stew, and Esau begged him for a bowl. Jacob agreed, but only if he would sell his birthright, his designation as firstborn. Now, as you know, at that time, birthright was a big deal. It meant overseeing the family after the father's death and receiving a double share of the inheritance. Esau, focused on his stomach and not the future, sold his birthright to Jacob. The next opportunity for trickery came years later when Isaac was older and he couldn't see very well. You get the sense that he's on his deathbed. He asks Esau to go hunt game, to make dinner, and then to receive his father's final blessing. Esau agreed and left. But Rebekah overheard the conversation and quickly hatched a plan to prosper Jacob. She told Jacob to get one of the choicest goats that, so that she could cook a meal for Isaac. She then took the hide from the goat and placed it on Jacob's hands and his neck so that he would feel hairy to the touch. Then she placed Esau's clothes on Jacob so that he would smell like his brother. And in this way, Jacob went in to serve his father. And it worked. Although Isaac was puzzled by the sound of Jacob's voice, he felt the furry hands, he smelled the earthy garments, and he was convinced that it was Esau. And so he blessed Jacob with these words that were meant for Esau. Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. 
May God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. And with that, Jacob stole his brother's blessing as well as his birthright. Esau came home, discovered what would happen, was furious and vowed to kill Jacob. And with Rebekah's help, Jacob fled to Laban, his mother's brother, in a distant country and stayed there for many years. And we won't unpack that whole time with Laban, but suffice it to say, his uncle took advantage of him as well. So Jacob knew what it meant to be betrayed. Then after a number of years, Jacob decided he wanted to return to his father's land. And he brought with him all his wives, his maidservants, his children, and his animals. He was a wealthy man. But he was scared. He was scared to return. He didn't know if Esau still wanted to kill him or not. So he sent messengers ahead of the company, and they returned with the news that not only is Esau coming, he has 400 men with him. Jacob decided to send groups of his servants, a cattle, ahead of him in intervals as peace offerings to assuage Esau's anger so that every step Esau would be given a gift of cattle and of servants. Jacob also separated his wives and children into two groups and sent them across the river, one one way and the other another way, so that if one was killed, the other would survive. And that brings us to today's story. Night has fallen, and Jacob is alone. He has no property to surround him, no weapons to defend himself. The last time he was alone like this was 20 years ago, when he was fleeing to his uncle Laban's house. And a mystical thing happened then as well. He dreamt there was a ladder going to heaven, and there were angels ascending and descending. That was the first bookend of the story, and now we have today's. A man met him, and they began to wrestle. The identity of the figure is purposely ambiguous. Was it an inner demon? Was it the angel of Esau fighting to get his birthright and his blessing back? Was it God? The rabbinic materials permit a variety of interpretations. Jacob and the man struggled all night until daybreak, at which the man tried to break free and leave. That's one of the reasons why people believed that this was an angel, because there was a tradition that angels had to return to the throne of God before the sun rises. The the story says that the man struck Jacob's hip socket and put it out of joint. But scholars suggest that such an injury would have left Jacob unable to walk, And the story says he merely had a limp. Some posit that the angel actually struck Jacob's inner thigh, possibly his groin, which would have been a place of great sensitivity and vulnerability. Jacob held on. Despite the struggle, despite the wounding, despite his own frailty, he refused to let go. God had promised good to him, and Jacob trusted God's promise. So at this point, the man asked Jacob, what is your name? And this may seem like a harmless question, but I believe it was the most devastating blow of all. The man knew Jacob's name, 
but he wanted Jacob to say, Jacob to say it himself, to own it, to confess it. Jacob means supplanter, overreacher. Jacob had to face his history of deceit and come to terms with his own capacity for sin. Jacob was humbled, not primarily by the blow to his body, but by the blow to his self-sufficiency. God knew Jacob better than Jacob knew himself, and God knew that Jacob could not succeed without God. And at this very moment, this place of confession, this place of repentance, this place of turning around, the angel renamed him. You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Jacob prevailed not in defeating God, but in surrendering to God's purposes. Then Jacob asked the man his name, perhaps to be on an equal footing with him, but the man replied, why is it that you ask my name? So maybe this was God, the one who cannot be named, and the man blessed him. From a narrative point of view, this encounter legitimized Jacob's stolen birthright and blessing. It may have been obtained fraudulently, but by God's own action, it was confirmed and redeemed. God can do that. God takes the tragic outcomes and the painful consequences of our lives and blesses them in extravagant ways, graceful ways, ways that lead to life, not death. And as the story goes, Esau finally comes to Jacob and embraces him. Jacob bows down before Esau and calls him Lord, symbolically returning the birthright that Jacob had stolen from him. Esau tried to return the gifts that Jacob had given him, but Jacob insisted that he keep them, again, returning a portion of the blessing that he had stolen. The two brothers ended up settling in different geographical areas, but their earlier animosity was put away. I love this story for so many reasons. First, it's not sanitized. The people of God in the Bible do strange and mean and stupid things, often because they're sad or scared or disappointed. The characters are not moral superheroes. Second, human beings are complex. At one point, they're frustrating the purposes of God, and at another point, they're living into the faithfulness that God intends. It sounds a little bit like you and me. And finally, God always finds a way to bless the people despite the failings of their leaders. The Bible focuses on God's blessing, not humanity's sin. God believes in us even when we don't believe in God. We live in a time when we're told, if you want something, take it. If someone gets in your way, knock them down. Win at all costs. But actually, what makes us human is to experience vulnerability and to lean into the care of others, to come to the end of ourselves and find where God begins, to cultivate relationship that is not marked by power over, but trust between. We often hear that we are made in the image of God, and we imagine that this means that we can dominate the earth, but our godliness is found in our capacity to trust one another. 
One of the most powerful depictions of the Holy Trinity may be found in the icon written by the Russian artist Rublev, who depicts three heavenly beings sitting at a table. Their bodies and faces are each tilted to the other in a way that shows honor and defers to their strength. It's a non-ending circle of respect. This is what life in God looks like. This is what it means to be made in the image of God, to recognize our interdependence. The story of Jacob wrestling the angel isn't about a human being conquering God. It's about a child of God discovering his own frailty and holding on to God's grace for dear life, even when it's undeserved. It's about discovering the blessing of vulnerability which makes true relationship possible. And we see this very humility, this vulnerability in the person of Jesus Christ who would rather endure the cross than betray the image of God. Amen.